Hey, this is Gratuitous. Welcome to Music Production Made Simple, the show that focuses on best practices about music production, which is based on FL Studio. If you're wanting to become the best producer you could be, subscribe and listen weekly. You can also check out my courses, which teach you the principles and basics of music production. They'll get you up and running quickly. In addition, I also have books on Amazon and tons of music on Spotify. Always feel free to hit me up at hi at itsgratuitous.com. So let's get into the episode. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 30. It's a pretty big number. I actually turned 30 this year as well. In this episode, I want to talk to you guys about a template and how powerful a template is. Again, I just released that book on Amazon about a template. It's called FL Studio Ultimate Template Creation Guide. And I just want to walk you through the actual process of my own template and how it's evolved over the years and, you know, the good decisions versus the bad decisions. Uh, Before we get into that actual topic, I want to talk a little bit about MIDI keyboards. So I was actually talking to someone who purchased one of my courses, one of my FL Studio courses, and then I saw that they purchased the piano course. So I just reached out to them. We were talking about MIDI keyboards just kind of quickly, and it just reminded me to share this with you. So I have a MIDI keyboard that I've owned for about eight years. Okay. It's a M audio axiom 49 second generation. And this keyboard, like this MIDI keyboard has been amazing, especially for the price ratio for the amount of features. Uh, but the biggest thing I like about it is it's semi weighted keys, right? So, uh, a while back I recommended to you that the best MIDI keyboard, uh, for FL studio, uh, is the M audio oxygen, like either a 49 key or a 61 key. The reason why I say that is because it integrates so well with FL Studio. Uh, It's not super expensive uh, and it has all the features you need, right? The only downside to that uh, MIDI keyboard is that the keys aren't semi-weighted. And when you play a MIDI keyboard with semi-weighted keys and then you go back to a cheaper keyboard with the kind of more plasticky kind of keys... I honestly cannot go back to that cheap feeling. It's like, you know, I've already experienced how good these semi-weighted keys are. So with that said, I've had this MIDI keyboard for about eight years and it's just starting to get old. So like some of the buttons, like I have to push them a little extra hard for them to work. For example, the octave up and octave down. And it's kind of annoying because, you know, if I'm in the middle of teaching, you know, in a course and, you know, let's say we're talking about the MIDI keyboard and I try to go up and down an octave. It's like sometimes I have to stop and edit that part out because my down octave is kind of stuck. And I've even taken apart this MIDI keyboard. I was like looking, I was like, Is there something that I can fix with it? I took it apart. I put it back together and it was working great. And then again, over time, it's this, uh, the lower octave button stops working. So it's really annoying. In addition, the transport buttons. Okay. So that's like your play, your stop, your record and loop. Some of those are starting to kind of get hard to push and stuff too. So it's just kind of annoying. So I was on the hunt for the best MIDI keyboard for FL Studio with the features that I look for. And what I look for is semi-weighted keys. Okay. I also look for the transport buttons. Again, that's the stop, the play, the record. And the biggest one is like the actual loop button. Okay. Because for my workflow inside of FL Studio, uh, you, you can go from playlist to pattern mode, right? And having that button, the loop mode, which switches in between those is so important for my own workflow. If I'm listening to that drum loop and then now I want to go back to the whole song, it's just a nice thing for workflow. And a lot of MIDI keyboards actually don't have all these features together. Now, one of the MIDI keyboards I purchased was the Novation Launch Key 49, the second version. And that was a great MIDI keyboard, except, you know, I thought that I really didn't mind 
the cheap keys. You know, I was like, do you know what? I want a new MIDI keyboard. All the buttons work. Yeah, the keys aren't semi-weighted. I was like, let's try it out. So I ordered it on Amazon. It got here. And as soon as I started playing, I was like, do you know what? No, I cannot play with these cheap keys. Uh, but uh, all the features were great on that uh, Novation launch key, okay? Uh, and then I was like looking, I was like, you know, because MIDI keyboards can get really expensive. Like you're talking like $800 for a MIDI keyboard. And I really, truly do not believe a MIDI keyboard should have that high of a price tag, you know, unless you're looking for like that kind of exotic car of, in a sense of the most expensive MIDI keyboard, right? But for us as producers, we need the most simple MIDI keyboard, okay? Like you need, a, you know, nice feeling keys, these transport buttons, and that's honestly all you need. Like for drum pads, I would recommend buying a, an actual drum pad, you know, that you would just plug in USB separate. So it has its own MIDI controller because First of all, you're probably going to get better quality. You're, you know, you're going to get more knobs. It's going to be more integrated for that purpose. What's happening is all these like, you know, developers uh, that are creating these MIDI keyboards, they're just trying to jam pack all these features in and then you're paying for them, right? Like for example, manual sliders is such a silly thing to have on MIDI keyboards because if you actually want to try and mix with them, it's impossible because if once you go to the next bank of sounds, the faders are not in the same position, right? Okay, so the next one I got was uh, the Native Instruments A-Series 49 key. And this one, like the keys were amazing feeling. And then on, all of a sudden I started realizing that the transport buttons do not work properly inside of FL Studio. It's something that in their new version compared to the old version, they changed something where now it doesn't integrate with FL Studio's transport buttons. And that was probably the hardest one to return because it was such a quality keyboard, like in a sense of the keys. This Again, that's the Native Instruments A-Series 49, but it does not integrate with FL Studio. So if you use FL Studio, I wouldn't recommend it. So really, I'm still back to recommending the M-Audio Oxygen uh, 49. That is why I'm still on this very first MIDI keyboard I had, again, I've had it for like eight, nine years. Just some of the buttons are kind of getting um, hard to press. I just wanted to share that with you because again, so the features I look for in a MIDI keyboard, you know, it's very hard to find a nice MIDI keyboard at that price range in that, you know, three to $400 max range. Uh, you're, you know, if you want what I'm asking for, like it was like seven, $800. And so there is actually a little market there for you developers who create these you know, keyboards, all we want is, or at least all I want is nice semi-weighted keys and the transport buttons, uh, your octaves, your pitch bend, your mod wheel. Uh, the knobs are pretty handy as well. Uh, but again, drum pads are not necessary and sliders are not necessary either. Okay, so that was a little process I went through for about like a month. Uh, I was just like ordering a keyboard and then I was trying it out and I'd return it and then I did, yeah, so... I'm still, you know, it still brought me back to the actual first MIDI keyboard I bought. So it's pretty crazy, right? But it's important that, you know, if you're first starting up, you want to buy the equipment that is going to last you because, you know, I've been producing for a long time and I could easily go buy another MIDI keyboard, but it's kind of hard to actually find a product that suits me and my workflow with FL Studio. Okay, so again, my whole inspiration behind the book called FL Studio Ultimate Template Creation Guide is to teach you how to use a template to speed you up to produce your music. 
And in addition, I also teach you that this is not just to do with music production. This is for any industry that you're involved in. A template is so amazing because it saves you all those tedious tasks. It allows you to really open up your project and start working rather than open up the project and set up all these little things. And then it's really easy to get distracted. You might you know, watch something on YouTube and you don't even get to making music, right? So by creating this template, it kind of avoids all that. So, uh, you know, you sit down, you're ready to work start making music, right? Now, when I first created this template, I had all these, you know, huge ideas. And I thought that if I was going to set it up a certain way, that it would save me even more time, right? But what was happening was because I opened up all these different plugins and stuff within this project, I had subgroups, I had sends going on, I color coded like the mixer, everything was like organized. But the thing was, it was organized for that particular kind of song or even like those types of songs. But if I was just gonna go and create like a little beat with maybe five, six instruments, my template had all this unnecessary stuff, which made the project slower to load it put more you know, stress on the CPU unnecessarily. Uh, and the funny thing is that, it, first of all, inspired the book and inspired this podcast was because from time to time, I'm working on my beat tape just in the background because I want to release my ninth beat tapes by Gratuitous. And if you don't know, you guys can check out my beat tapes. They're on Spotify. I have eight of them. It's just a good reference point, you know, so you can listen to my music towards kind of what I'm talking about. So I was working on my newest beat tape and Sometimes what I do is I go through the catalog of my old beats, you know, and these could be from six, seven years ago, right? And you open it up, you know, I'll look at the project and I'm just like, oh, like, it's just like, this is, man, I, I, that's the way I worked like eight years ago. And like, now it's like, you know, I have a very fast, fluid process, very minimal, <laughs> you know, going back to the old project, just my old style of working. And then coming nowadays, uh, again, I've just learned a lot about what I want in a template that really benefits me, okay? So the first tip I wanna give you is you wanna create this template to be minimal, okay? You want it to help you, but not slow you down because things that may seem that they're gonna help you now, like once you get into like the mixing stage or once you get to like the mastering stage, uh, you may realize that, oh, you know, that's kind of annoying setting it up, you know, in a certain way, okay? So my first tip to you is you wanna keep it minimal and I guess the second tip is you have to realize that every producer works in a different way. So just because I'm telling you to set up a template a certain way doesn't mean it's going to flow for you and your workflow. Uh, but I've just set my template up in such a way that, you know, I know it's going to benefit my mixing. It's going to benefit my mastering. It's just going to make the process easier. Okay. So for example, uh, let's just talk about the mastering chain. So on the master bus, I always have a certain amount of plugins on there. That doesn't mean I, I'm going to be using them, even though I usually do, but I have them always open because it just saves me from having to open those plugins every time because how I work with FL Studio is I actually like to mix and master inside of the same project. And this is probably frowned upon within the industry because best practice within the industry is to mix the song, you export it as your 24-bit wave, and then they would master all your songs inside of one project so that they can easily compare levels, they can do nice fade-ins and fade-outs. But on this mastering chain, how I have it set up is I have a single-band compressor, a multi-band compressor, I have a clipper on there, I have my limiter, and I also have... Um, a meter and nowadays with LUFS okay so it's really important that you do have a loudness meter okay so again back in the day actually way back like all along throughout audio there has been so many different uh, techniques to measure audio uh, you know from RMS to VU meters and there's 
there's actually tons if you look up all this the different measurements for measuring the loudness of audio and this is pretty much like the next change though is this going to stay lufs like you know is it or is it just going to be a kind of like a, a 10 year little stint uh or is it is this going to be like you know the way it is because what's interesting about lufs is it actually takes into the frequencies and how these frequencies you know how our how our ears hear them and how our ears hear loudness so this is probably the most interesting way to measure audio uh, but anyway, so this loudness meter is the very, very last plugin I have on my mastering chain, okay? And I actually have them set up in order. So I actually have the single band compressor, the multi-band compressor, uh, the clipper, uh, and it's by T-Rex. That's the classic clipper. That is by far my favorite clipper. Um, it's worth the money. I think it's like a hundred bucks. I have my limiter and then I also have the loudness meter. So your meter is always the very, very last plugin. And then you're going to have your limiter after that. Here's actually a really good example of like a good decision you can be doing inside your templates. Okay. So over the years with mastering, uh, the actual threshold, the actual output level has changed so much. It's gone from minus 0.1 dB. It went to minus 0.3 dB. And then now it's at actually at minus one. Okay. And the whole reason for this is when you actually render your song into mp3 now that's a lossy format so what happens is it actually removes frequencies and content from the song and through that process of when you're actually rendering your mp3 there's certain areas of your song where you know it wouldn't be uh, weird to see like you know two or three db boost in certain areas and by setting that ceiling uh that output on the limiter to minus one it just helps reduce the chance of that now an example of a bad decision is setting things up where they're actually gonna slow you down later, okay? And the thing is, it's hard to know what's gonna slow you down until you actually get to that point in the project because you may not remember or you may realize that you work a certain way. And this is what happens, you know, that five, six years down the road that all of a sudden you, you know, you might pick up new habits or you might learn a certain technique that you have introduced into your workflow that you didn't uh, work with when, you first started, right? For example, on your mixer, you know, let's say you want to EQ in a compressor on every single insert. And the thing is, it's like for myself, my tracks vary, but it can be anywhere from maybe, let's say 12 inserts all the way up to like 30, 40. Uh, so it varies on each song, right? But the thing is, most of my songs are not that 40, 50 inserts, which is, you know, that's a lot of inserts and that's a lot of processing that your computer has to do. And so if you have an EQ and a compressor on every single one, uh, you know, your template is kind of stuck in this kind of hard way. A good example to remedy that is what you could do is maybe create one blank insert, which has that EQ and compressor. And if you want it on another insert, you can just right click, you go to file and you just click and drag on save mixer state as, and you can drop that onto another insert. What I'm trying to say is you don't want to set up a template where you open up all these different plugins that, you know, you feel that you're kind of almost restricted to use because when you kind of get lazy with a template and the sense of it, you're trying to use the template to do everything for you, it can again, hinder you from creativity, from trying new things, right? So you want to set this template up so that it's super minimal and it benefits your workflow. So for example, for myself, again, I have my master bus set up for me so that once my Production is done, you know, once I've um, created the beat, once I've mixed it, once I've arranged it, now I'm into the mastering stage. Uh, I'm ready to master like right away, right? Um, the next thing is uh, I actually have sends. So I actually have sends where I, I color code them. I have like two reverbs as sends. I have a delay, a stereo separation send, a distortion send, and a parallel compression send. Now, 
you might ask, okay, well, what's Ascend, right? Now, if you don't know what Ascend is, you know, it's just because you're so new. But as you start to get acquainted with music production, you'll realize that, okay, these sends are very, very powerful. And instead of creating these basic ones that you use all the time, it's like there's no need to really have to do that manually. So I add that into my template. And, you know, Ascend is just a parallel path for your audio to flow. And it's really powerful because you can affect these uh, these sends, these parallel tracks differently from the original signal. So if you want to compress it super hard, and then what you do is you just kind of bring that volume just underneath the original signal. And this is what a lot of the professional producers and engineers do to help thicken up sounds or to uh, apply a certain effect that is beneficial, but not over dramatic, right? Instead of actually applying the effect directly onto the sound, uh, you can send everything to ascend and you can process it, you know, however you, you want. So that's a really cool pro tip. Okay. So there's a lot of interesting points inside of this book. I highly suggest you guys check it out again. It's called FL studio ultimate template creation guide. I will leave the link in the show notes here. Okay, guys, thanks so much for checking out this episode. Again, think about a template from a good decision versus a bad decision mindset. And if you don't know what that is, just try to be mindful in your actions, okay? Think about, if I do this now, is it going to harm me in the future, okay? You think about, you know, the VSTs you're using, the plugins you're using. You know, yes, it's cool to have a huge array, a huge assortment of these different tools. But the thing is, what I've discovered over the years is really, for the most part, I found my favorite tools that I like to use. Yes, I have variety, but I do not have this huge assortment that I've spent tons of money on that, you know, pretty much takes so much space, hard drive space. I try to keep things really minimal and I try to be very selective in the sounds I use because I know that they're high quality and it's easy for me to recreate and make new kind of sounds out of them so that I don't sound stale and stuff like that, okay? So if you guys want to learn FL Studio, please come to the website, itsgratuitous.com forward slash FL Studio, okay? You guys can enter in your email and I will be in contact with you. I'm going to start preparing, uh, you know, all these different offers for you guys so that you guys can learn FL Studio with best practices. My courses have helped so many people. Honestly, when I get, you know, your five-star reviews and when I get feedback behind that review of, you know, such positive information from you guys, it is honestly so rewarding. There's kind of all these different stages as a music producer and I want to get you guys there. You know, I have courses on FL Studio Beginners, right? I have one for FL Studio Intermediate. I also have one for music theory and also how to play the piano from a beat maker's perspective. Okay, because again, if you're trying to learn the piano from a classical piano player's perspective, I'm telling you that you're doing it wrong and you want to learn from a producer's standpoint of how we actually use this actual keyboard inside of our beats, right? Okay, I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for checking out the episode. If you had any questions, visit itsgratuitous.com slash podcast, select an episode and submit your question at the bottom of the page to the contact form. If you'd like to take my FL Studio courses, see my current studio and podcasting gear, read my books or are interested in lessons, visit the link itsgratuitous.com slash learning. That page will redirect you to more info and resources. I hope the best with your productions. I'm Gratuitous and I'll see you in the next episode.